Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We've been uh, covering this store here on CHML for quite some time now. These are a group of people in the east end of the city that are participating in a rent strike. In other words, withholding their rent because they say that uh, the landlords in the buildings in which they occupy uh, are not doing a very good job of keeping the buildings up to par. Uh, they consider that there are some health and safety standards. I mean, we've presented these arguments uh, off and on over the last little while. And uh, there's, I think, a pretty good chance of there's some legitimacy to a lot of these complaints. Uh, the other hand of the corner, of course, is the people that own the buildings and their representatives are saying this is much ado about nothing and they're doing everything they can, etc. Well, those participating in the uh, rent strike have now been given eviction notices. Now, we're not sure exactly how many have been handed out to this date, but obviously it's a rather daunting experience to be told to be out of your accommodation in the next couple of days. Uh, they say this is a campaign of harassment meant to disrupt the tenant organization that has been going on over the last little while. Joining us to talk about this is Brendan Jowett, who is a staff lawyer with the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic, uh, who's been on the program before to talk about this. Brendan, thank you so much for jumping in today. Appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Bill. Let me ask you something. Uh, with these uh, these eviction notices being given out, does this surprise you? Um. No, I can't say that it surprises me. I mean, it's certainly uh, consistent with a pattern of escalation that the that the landlord has been displaying uh, through throughout the rent strike. I'm also just going to point out, uh, just in relation to what you were saying um, at the outset here about what the rent strike is is fundamentally about. I mean, part of it is to do with maintenance and repair issues in the building, but uh, another part of it, and I might say the biggest part, is that the landlord is trying to increase the tenant's rent above the provincial guideline um, on the basis of, quote-unquote, uh, capital expenditures in the, in the buildings. Um, and uh, so this is called an above-guideline increase. And, you know, for a number of people who are, you know, low-income tenants uh, who've been living in these buildings for, for a long time, uh, rent increases of almost 10% over the next two years uh, seriously threaten to move them out of their homes. So that's another big kind of piece of the, the rent strike. Now, to that point, and you and I had this discussion, I guess it was back in the summertime, uh, there is an element of the legislation that allows the landlord to do that, but there has to be some justification for it, doesn't there? They, I mean, and they have to apply for it. Yeah, so there's an application that the landlord has to make to uh, to the landlord and tenant board to be able to do that. Uh, the counter argument is that that legislation doesn't account for the real-life circumstances of tenants. There's nothing that accounts for tenants' ability to pay. There's nothing account that accounts for, uh, for the landlord's failure to uh, fulfill their obligations in relation to, uh, to the building. Um, I see folks in these kinds of situations all the time where they want to tell the board, the landlord and tenant board, about their maintenance issues. They want to tell the landlord and tenant board that, you know, my... Um, ODSP or social assistance payments aren't going up by 10% over the next two years. I can't afford to pay this. But those arguments have no place in uh, in the legislation or in, in the analysis. And so I think that the this this approach, the, the rent strike approach, um, is, is a reaction against a regime that the tenants view as being fundamentally unfair. Actually, to your point, uh, their, their ODSP payments aren't going up at all now because the Ford government's rolled those those increases back. Yeah, so it's it's making this even more of a daunting exercise, isn't it? Exactly, it's uh, it it is austerity in action. So let's let's talk about tenant rights because that seems to be a gray area and, and probably one that not enough tenants or people that are, are applying to be tenants actually take the time to learn about. Uh, until it's too late. I mean, and the, the phone call to your clinic, of course, and, the, and they can uh, get some help about this and some insight as to what's going on. But it's it's a very, very murky area for a lot of tenants, isn't it? 
Yeah, I think that a lot of people, there's basic information that a lot of people don't have in terms of understanding what their rights are and how to assert them. So how do how do you do something about that? I mean, clearly your clinic does that, but cl- they're, they're paying or playing rather, I think, on, on that inability to have a, a firm grasp of what their rights are in a situation like this. And a lot of people simply give into it because they don't think they have any recourse. Yeah, I think that um, uh, certainly a lack of education, a lack of information, and also a, a power imbalance between landlords and tenants uh, certainly makes it harder for, la- uh, for tenants to be able to assert their rights. Um, you know, most landlords or at least uh, like large-scale housing providers like CLV Group, uh, which is involved in uh, this, uh, you know, in this matter, um, you know, they have, in fact, in this particular case, they have three different legal departments working for them. They have one uh, paralegal firm that's assisting with uh, their efforts to evict the tenants for non-payment of rent. They have their own corporate counsel. Uh, they have another firm that they've uh, that they've taken on to deal with this, um, you know, this joke uh, loitering issue, Um, you know, so they've got access to resources. And meanwhile, you know, low income tenants, they're not hiring three law firms to assist them. They're maybe if they're even aware that there's a legal clinic that exists, they might put in a call. But, you know, most people don't know where to go. All right. Now, I had some conversations over the last little while with some of the people that are impacted by this. And and I don't know whether they've received eviction notices. We haven't heard from any of them yet. But one of the concerns they had, and you talked about this loitering aspect, is is they wanted to get together and organize and talk about what's going on with this person, what's going on, is this are they doing this to you too? Uh, and obviously, they're they're getting some pushback on this. Is it true now that certain elements of the of the building, uh, for instance, meeting rooms, are now being considered to be uh, out of bounds for them? Yeah, I mean this this loitering, and I use you know air quotes on this. This loitering policy is is an absolute joke. I have here a letter that I'm looking at from um, CLV's legal counsel, Micheline Dupont, and it actually says that um, uh, loitering includes using the lobby or common areas as a staging point or meeting place for any purpose, particularly where such use interferes with building operations. So this is using the lobby or common areas as a staging point or meeting place. Um, you know, in in these buildings, my understanding is that prior to CLV taking over, they actually had couches and chairs in these relatively large lobby areas because they were trying to encourage a sense of community, a mm-hmm. place for people to meet and to be able to spend time. And then she she actually goes on to say in this letter, CLV Group will ensure that the lobby and common areas of the building are used for the purposes for which they are designed and not for individuals or any organization to use as a facility in which to promote their ideology or agenda. If the agenda of the tenants, which is to push back against this rent increase, uh, is, is offensive to CLV or, or is, it constitutes loitering, then what, what CLV is doing, and again, this, this use of this term loitering, um, is clearly a pretext for trying to prevent the tenants from being able to formulate a position, from being able to advance their agenda, which is the purpose of a tenants association, um, and, uh, and, and their... Um, yeah, it's a, like this is clearly a pushback uh, against the tenants' efforts to organize. Well, it sure sounds like divide and conquer to me. Yeah, and that's a classic strategy, which is maybe part of the reason why some of the tenants have received eviction notices and others haven't. By the way, just a, a point of clarification, if somebody were to be evicted uh, and move out by the end of October or whatever the date is on, on the notice, uh, if they rent that apartment out to somebody else, are they allowed to increase the rent? They're allowed to increase the rent 
however much they want. They're they're allowed to rate like right now the the rents are arguably below market rate because these tenants have benefited from rent control. But what the landlord's trying to do is push the low income tenants out so that they can jack the rents up to what the market will bear. So from a financial standpoint, I, I and I'm not going to try to get in their heads here, but I'm, but from a financial standpoint, it would be to the landlord's best interest to to get rid of all these people. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah, the, the, the landlord and and the, they've they've shown this throughout this process. The landlord doesn't care about these tenants. The landlord is they they care about their profits. They are a real estate investment trust at the at at their core. Um, they exist to generate profits for their investors. And they and and existing sitting tenants do not help them do that. Who stands up for these people? I mean, I know I, we we know about the great work that you guys do at the at the legal clinic, uh, Brandon. But but invariably, when governments try to get involved in this, and that's tried, it has been attempted in the past. Uh, they will set up consumer protection agencies or ombudsmen or somebody that can stand up and listen to the, the concerns and, and be a voice for them in, in situations like that. Is there any such entity at all when it comes to tenants and renters? You know, that's a, I mean, that's a really interesting point. Like, I can't think of any other area of the sort of consumer protection uh, industry or, or even just like, you know, the um, uh, situations where you have a, a, a seller and a purchaser I can't think of any situation where the purchasers are treated so poorly and where it's like their interests are just so disregarded. I mean, the tenants are ultimately paying for a service, which is to have a home that they can live in um, and, uh, you know, a place where they can build their build their lives. And, you know, I, I, I can't think of any other area where the customer, you know, is has, has less power and is sort of less respected than in the rental housing market. Um, there, there is a body called the Rental Housing Enforcement Unit, which is basically a toothless entity uh, of the government, uh, the, the Ministry of uh, Municipal, Municipal Affairs and Housing. Um, what they'll do is you, you call in, you make a complaint, and then they will call the landlord and they'll try and you know, sort of work with them. But I can't think of a single case where, and I've been doing basically exclusively housing law for four years, and I can't think of a single case where I've seen the, uh, the uh, rental housing enforcement unit actually step in and do something. Um, the landlord and tenant board is a place where you know tenants can go to make their case, but it, it's it's difficult. I mean, our our office has basically four lawyers who represent all of the low-income tenants in the city of Hamilton. There is no other place to go, and so we're not in. You know, we're, we have to pick the cases that we take on. We're not able to represent tenants on all of those various cases where they may have a, a, a great argument and a great issue that they need to bring forward, but we simply can't be spending our time trying to enforce maintenance standards. Um, there is property standards. People can go to the to the city's uh, property standards department, although we find that, again, there is a, a kind of... Um, uh, they tend to be a little bit toothless. They tend to, uh, you know, try and, you know, they'll they'll talk with the landlord and try and ask the landlord to do stuff. But I very rarely see them issuing fines against landlords for noncompliance. Um, I think that there there is a strong push in the city right now for proactive enforcement, and I think that's the way that we need to be going. Is that that there should be spot checks on buildings. Um, the city should be uh, checking in to make sure that landlords are meeting their uh, maintenance. And repair obligations. 
um, and and that that's really the the strongest way to ensure that tenants are actually getting what they pay for. Yeah, I, I've been down that road. I've, I've tried to act on when I was on council on behalf of some tenants in situations like this, and and the fallback position for just about all of them is, hey, we don't have the money. Sorry, I'd love to fix it, but we just don't have the cash unless you let us raise the rent. And that's yeah. what that's what they throw back at you. And, and the city, you're right, is kind of toothless into this. That they, they can try to enforce the the existing bylaws and the health and safety standards, but non-compliance can be a long, long, very, very costly legal fight that the city really doesn't want to get into. Yeah. And and the other side of that coin is the tenant the, who doesn't maybe have somebody like you representing them. Uh, is very much intimidated if they have to go before some tribunal where you've got some lawyer representing the other side. And, and uh, you know you just don't have the legal wherewithal to be able to fight that. Yeah, tenants, tenants are very easily railroaded through through that process. So therein lies the problem, and there's obviously not the infrastructure in place to try to deal with these. Uh, I, I guess the obvious question a lot of us have got at this stage, where's this all going to go? I mean, I, you know, these people have some, I think, some legitimate concerns. I've heard from uh, many of them over the last number of months. Uh, they've tried to do what they can here. Uh, uh, I understand that uh, some people are, are saying, well, look, if you withheld rent, that's essentially you're breaking the law, breaking the contract. But at some point you have to do something to get the attention to this matter, don't you? Yeah, and I think that the tenants have found a, a way to do that. And, you know, I mean, there's, uh, you have examples of a number of rent strikes in Toronto that are emerging. I mean, we should, we should be seeing this as the canary in the coal mine that it is. There is an emergence right now of a, of a tenants' rights movement, a recognition that we are living in a, in a housing crisis. And tenants are finding ways to push back against that, um, that, are not necessarily provided uh, through legal, you know, legal avenues, um, and I and I think that this should be really, uh, really concerning to us. The fact that these tenants are putting, they're putting their tenancies on the line, they're putting their housing on the line because they know that they can't afford not to. I know there's always a pushback, by the way, when we have discussions like this, uh, and I hear from some landlords and actually a couple of landlord associations that say, you know, we're, we're not trolls, we're not evil people, and, and, and I'll take them at their word. I, 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 that's true, uh, but there are bad apples, and uh, there needs to be a system in place to deal with those bad apples, as there was with anybody else. Uh, that's in the business, that there are certain responsibilities that come with being a landlord and, and an owner of a property like this, and, and they've got a responsibility to, to live up to that end of it, too. Well, I, you know, I wouldn't say that it's a matter of bad apples, and I really, I really resist the idea of, like, you know, pointing to, uh, pointing to individuals involved in saying, like, you're a bad person, you know, or like that, you're, you know, that, that there's evil at play. What we're, what we're dealing with is an amoral system, that doesn't care about the well-being of people who actually are depending on it. It's a product of framing housing as a commodity rather than as a necessity for life. Uh, and so, you know, with what, what's going on with um, CLV Group here, this is an issue of a landlord whose sole purpose is to make money, is to generate money for their shareholders, and they don't care about the fact that it pushes tenants out of their homes. Uh, they don't care about the fact that it is causing rents to skyrocket in the city uh, and that it's making, you know, for working class people trying to live in the city of Hamilton, which is a working class city, um, that it's making the city unlivable for them. So it's, I think it's the entire notion of housing as a commodity that we have to be resisting. And, you know, the, this idea of 
well, how is the landlord going to afford to, uh, you know, to upkeep these buildings, and how do they, uh, how do they, you know, make make ends meet for themselves? I mean, these people are not like Interrent, as, as I understand it, reading their reports, they're a 1.7 billion dollar corporation. This is not, you know, like raising these people's rents is a drop in the bucket for them, but it is a way of them generating, squeezing more profit out of these buildings, um, and and they do so in a way that is without regard for the well-being or the interests of the tenants. By the way, we should also put this in context, and, and I know we've had this discussion in the past, Brandon. Uh, if <laughs> these, these are people that are, as you say, maybe paying under market rent, slightly under market rent, simply because of rent protections that have been in place. Uh, but if the rents get jacked up or if these people get uh, evicted, uh, they have nowhere to go. I mean, there, there is a rental housing crisis in this city as much as there is. We've talked about gentrification, about housing prices. Rental housing falls into that, too. It doesn't get talked about it as much, but it is real. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I mean, the, these, the same units in the same buildings that these people are living in, uh, the prices are rising several hundred dollars. For, those that, for the people that are, that are moving out, they're going from... Uh, I believe like eight, you know, eight or nine hundred for it for a two bedroom, to over fourteen, over fourteen hundred. So that's my that's my understanding of it. I might have my numbers a little bit uh, a little bit off there, but um, you know, how how are these people supposed to live? The rent is going up by, you know, forty fifty percent. Where do people go? Yeah, and where do they find the money? This is not this is not a group of people that don't want to pay the increase. It's a group of people that can't pay the increase. Well, exactly. It's a, you know the, the, for them it their the decision is literally between paying rent and putting food on the table. Every dollar that goes towards rent is is a dollar taken away from other basic necessities that these people you know they're they're mostly I'm you know working class immigrant. Uh, if lots of folks on on social assistance or on uh, on ODSP, um, you know, like they're they're living paycheck to paycheck, dollar by dollar, and every dollar that goes towards a, a rent increase is a dollar that comes out of their you know out of their children's mouths. It's a dollar that comes uh, out of their um, you know li- whatever the limited budgets are that they have, and and. Um, yeah, I mean it's a dire situation, which is why these people these people don't want to be having these meetings. These people don't want to be, you know, having to go to the landlord and tenant board and fight for their tenancies week after week. But they have no choice right now. Hopefully, somebody is going to get involved. I mean, these people need a hero and 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 a champion at this stage, and uh, we'd like to see somebody step up. I know you guys are doing what you can with the legal clinic, but. Uh, there are higher-ups at uh, Queen's Park and other places that need to step up here, too. Brandon, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for this today. It, my, my pleasure, and I will say that these people are these, the, these people do not need a hero. These people are the heroes, and yeah. it is their power that we, uh, that we need to acknowledge and recognize. They're doing an incredible job. Amen to that. Thanks again. Take care, Bill. Cheers. Brent, Brandon Jowd, of course, spent the Hamilton Community Legal Clinic. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.